This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi everyone and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. In today's episode, I'll be discussing loss and grief, what to expect and how to navigate these major life stages. Loss and grief are universal experiences we all share. A child's brain isn't able to fully comprehend and process major loss, but from teen years onwards, we must all learn to deal with and manage loss as an important part of life. The Western world traditionally shunned talking about these darker sides of life, but with the pandemic and lockdowns, loss and grief came to the forefront of all our lives in ways beyond our control. With the loss of freedom and way of life we took for granted, safety and health, opportunities, loss of celebrating life's milestones in traditional ways. Research shows most friendships will end, for example, and this can be a big or even bigger loss than losing a partner. Most marriages end, leading to loss for many people, including family members. In the USA, 40% of families are now blended, and the trend is predicted to continue around much of the world, meaning nuclear families will become rare, and that loss in family relationships will become the norm. Models of grief are somewhat fraught. Cultural differences and differences in our belief systems make it hard to model grief. A popular model presented by the late psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her book On Death and Dying, which was first published in 1969, shows that in experiencing grief we go through a series of five emotions. These are denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. But it's not a linear model. We navigate these series of emotions through different phases and stages in different sequences, and we need to move through these different experiences as many times as it takes in order to get through grief. She developed the model based on her work with terminally ill patients. At a time when medical schools failed to teach doctors on the subject of death and dying, Kubler-Ross examined death and people facing death at the University of Chicago's medical school. Earlier bereavement theorists and clinicians such as John Bowlby used similar models of stages or phases of grief from the 1940s. But this model by Kubler-Ross has been criticised for lacking empirical research and evidence and for potentially not being applicable to people in other cultures. Despite this, it's still very popular and it's been translated into 41 languages. Researchers Margaret Strobe and Henk Stute developed the dual process model of grief in 1999. They found that grief isn't a linear or stage-based process, but rather... We oscillate between a loss orientation and a restoration orientation state. With stressors in both states, as we learn to cope with loss, there's a stress of the loss and the stress of getting on with daily life that helps us to move forward. The end of a romantic relationship can be devastating. Relationships access the deep needs within us that are then left exposed when they end. While we're in the relationship... These depths are being medicated, if you like, by our way of being in the relationship. That is, our deep emotional needs are being soothed and met in some ways by the dynamics of the relationship. Once the relationship ends, we're suddenly alone. 
with this whole new dimension of ourselves exposed. And we become painfully aware of this part of ourselves and slowly we begin the healing process and integrating this part. The gap that's been exposed within us from the loss of our partner has to be filled back up by ourselves. And filling that gap can become a more fulfilling process of self-connection. At the end of a relationship, we need to allow ourselves time to grieve. We need to be patient in dealing with all the feelings that arise afterwards. And this can be a gruelling emotional time, but it's also a great opportunity to resolve some very deep issues and professional help may be called for if there's not some sense of us moving forward within a few weeks. When we face the loss of a loved one, we face one of life's biggest challenges, yet only by facing death can we more fully face life. This can be the most painful, difficult and frightening of times. Yet it can also be a very positive time, and when we are given time to face the impending death of a loved one, we have time to say things that we need to say, and unexpected death, of course, can be an extremely difficult thing to deal with. As hard as it can be to say things to a dying person, it's much harder to live with things that are left unsaid. If you suspect that someone close to you will die soon, it's important to spend time getting in touch with your feelings about anything you might need to say or to ask them before they go. It's never too soon to take this opportunity that we might otherwise later regret. The ultimate death of someone we love can be particularly difficult to come to terms with whether we have a warning about it or not. It often helps if we can be grateful for the life the person lived and to remember that they will not suffer again, and the same with pets, of course. Grief takes its own unique course for each of us, and we need to give ourselves the time and support we need to experience all the phases or stages of grief fully. Letting go of a loved one often draws out our sense of meaning of life, And it can force us to find a deeper sense of meaning or spirituality in order to make sense in whatever way we can about death and to gain a greater sense of acceptance. We deal with crises much better when we draw on our support network of friends, family, workmates and professionals may be required if we feel we're not moving through our grief. So what are some of the things we can do? If someone or a pet we love is dying, I believe part of our job is to let them go. I remember sensing when my dying grandmother seemed to know that I wasn't ready for her to go. I made a decision to become ready and to let her know. She let go soon after that. This can happen with pets as well. We can grieve an animal more than a person. And it's important to accept and allow this rather than to judge ourselves or others. Usually there's two weeks of an adrenaline rush after someone or a pet dies. And this, I believe, is to get us through the important work of burying and honouring that life. And then this drops. Two weeks later, we are usually hit with exhaustion when that adrenaline drops. And this is a time to watch out for in ourselves and in others. Typically, the first two years are pretty raw during anniversaries and rites of passage such as the change of years. And even as we're moving forward in our lives, we still will feel pretty raw, certainly in the first year, the second year that starts and those anniversaries hit like birthdays and so forth. And still the grief will emerge or be present. And it's quite surprising for many people. Again, we can still be moving on in our lives. Our brain typically plays tricks with us. 
with thoughts popping into our minds of, oh, I must tell her X, Y, and Z, or, oh, I must get that for my cat. It's a lot of work for the brain to process this major adjustment. We'll find ourselves not wanting to go to places where our loved ones used to be, and we just feel lost. We might be absent-minded for months and feel even worse than when we were actually helping our pet or loved one die. We will typically make mistakes, even work mistakes that we don't even remember making. Often we'll pre-grieve, that is, we'll be grieving while the person or pet is dying or is aging or is ill. Even so, that may be one of the hardest phases. We will still have to grieve after they go. We'll feel that we lack brain power. We lack concentration, judgment. For instance, we may be normally a good cook or good at our work and suddenly become a bad cook, mistaking things, making errors at work, lacking concentration. Our brain feels blank in trying to make decisions. It's important to let the right decisions become obvious to take one day at a time. Remember, grief is a block of work and it's always churning either in the side, back or front of our mind. Even while we may be doing other things, we are always doing two things at once. Grief is a roller coaster. It can hit us when we least expect. We may be feeling quite normal again when suddenly, out of the blue, we burst into tears. For grief other than for deaths, for instance the loss of a friendship or a relationship, it can be just as hard. It's important to find ways to deal with and process these losses as well. Goodbye letters are really fantastic therapeutic processes. It's an opportunity to say everything we want to say, to have all our feelings, to vent from our chest, to get everything out into this goodbye letter as if for the last chance to say everything we want to say to that person. Some people feel that it's received by the other person or it's released into the ether when they burn the goodbye letter. Others ask their therapist to read them. This can particularly help when we feel we have a lack of closure. Self-compassion is very important in these times as well of loss and grief. Pain is in proportion to a lack of understanding. So if you feel pain, if you feel confusion, that you don't know why a relationship has ended or a job has ended or a situation important to you has ended, talk it through with a friend, a family member, someone you trust or a therapist. For other losses such as jobs, again, understanding, being able to talk it through is important. Losing a job or career can be devastating too, particularly when we've been in a position for a long time or we have dependents or both. Our careers often provide us with much of our sense of identity and we go through many realisations when we leave a job. We realise how much or how little we've been interested in it and gained from it. We may discover we've been relying on our jobs to meet other social or emotional needs and perhaps even a sense of status or self-esteem. Losses are endings, and endings have an energy. At times, grief can make us feel terribly old, or like we're convalescing from a long illness. We feel we're walking with so little energy, and so little will and hope for the future. It can be a real effort to keep going. Sometimes it seems enough just to have survived, and to have come this far in our lives, to get through the loss. So too, beginnings have a certain energy. But we can't move into the new energy of the beginning until we've had our ending and closed the door on the last phase behind us. Remember that beginning will come. The late tech giant Steve Jobs said, It makes sense backwards. 
Hindsight is a wonderful thing and giving ourselves time helps to gain perspective on most things. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 333 497 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7 on 1800 1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.